could stand for the reading of God's Word, I'm going to be uh, preaching out of Haggai this morning. And it's really the three elements to rebuilding God's house. Verse 1 says this, Haggai, number, verse 1, chapter 1. In the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest. Father, this is your word. We pray, Lord, that you will illumine our hearts and our minds to its truth this morning as we think about what it is to take care of your house, Ashley River Baptist Church. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So keep it open in Haggai uh, because we'll be walking through it uh, little by little. The first thing I want us to see is that the first element is really the context. Anytime you come to a passage of Scripture, you have to understand what is the context here? What is going on? And so I want us to look at the context. Here is a, um, a timeline, a biblical timeline. And you see uh, Abraham there uh, all the way to the left. And Abraham uh, was called by God in Genesis chapter 12. It's about 2090 B.C. 2090 B.C. And then, of course, he had a son, Isaac, and Isaac and Rebekah had two sons, Jacob and Esau, and then Jacob had the 12 sons, which became the 12 tribes of Israel. And one of those tribes was the tribe of Joseph. Of course, we all know the story of Joseph. And Joseph was sold by his brothers into slavery, which took him to Egypt. And then Joseph was thrown into prison, but he was able to interpret dreams by God's help, and he was able to then find favor with the Pharaoh, and he became second in command, and he became the one who would be able to sustain Israel during a very difficult famine in Israel. And so they would come to Egypt eventually, but then that Pharaoh died off, and another Pharaoh rose to power, and he enslaved all of the Israelites in Egypt. Well, God saw these enslavement of his people, and he raised up a man named Moses. And Moses was the, the deliverer that God had given for him to bring his Israelite people out into the promised land. And so in 1446 BC, Moses brings the Israelites out of Egypt through the Red Sea to Mount Sinai and the giving of the law 50 days after, after Passover. So we see now that Moses is the deliverer. Of course, the rebellion of the people at Kadesh Barnea actually required for God to punish them, and they then spent 40 years wandering in the wilderness. And then in 1406 B.C., Moses takes them to the plains of Moab, writes Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy means second giving of the law. Why? Because the people who were there gathered in Moab, they, of course, didn't know what the law was because they were brand new. They had just been born during the wilderness wanderings. And so Moses gave a second reading of the law in Deuteronomy. And it's in Deuteronomy. I want us to focus on there a little bit as we get to the second point because it's so important. And then, of course, Joshua was the one who would lead his people into the promised land. Uh, Joshua is Yeshua, and Yeshua is the same as Jesus Christ, that's the same name. It's Jesus is the Greek word for Yeshua, Joshua, interestingly. And so Jesus leads us into the promised land. 
You see, and so in 1406 B.C., they come in, they conquest Jericho, and they take over the land that God had promised them. Okay, and so now we fast forward. Through, after Joshua passed, off, uh, passed away, then it, there was a period of the judges for about 375 years. And then the people all wanted a king. They wanted to be like uh, the other nations, the bordering nations around them. So they asked God for a king. They didn't think that God was a theocracy. They didn't want him to just be their king. They wanted a human king. And so they, they called up Saul. Saul, he was the first king. In 1040 and 1050 BC, he became king, but then he died off. And after 40 years, David took the throne, the greatest king of Israel's history. And David was in 1010 BC, he became the king. And he ruled for 40 years, and he conquered all of the enemies around him. He spilled much blood, but David was a faithful king, a man after God's own heart. And then when David died, his son Solomon rose to the throne, and he became the one who would build the first temple. Solomon would oversee the building of the first temple. And then in 930 BC, 931 BC, the kingdom splits after Solomon's death. Becomes the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. And there are kings, and you can read the narrative in First and Second Kings, and in First and Second Chronicles, we see the annals of all the kings who had served in north, the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom was carried off into captivity, uh, captivity after Assyria attacked them. That's in 722 B.C., but the southern kingdom, Judah, hung on for another hundred and so years. And then in 586 B.C., that temple was destroyed by the Babylonians under Nebuchadnezzar in 586 B.C. And God said you would be held captive in a land that is not your own. You will be captives exiled to Babylonia for 70 years. The first captives were guys like Daniel and Ezekiel that came back in 609 B.C. The Babylonians carried them off. And in 586, they actually destroyed the temple. And Jeremiah was the one who would prophesy that, in fact, they would spend 70 years, Jeremiah 25 and Jeremiah 29. We like to quote the verse that Jesse preached on several weeks ago. For I have plans for you, plans to prosper you, plans not to harm you, but to give you hope and a future. That's God's word to the people who were in Babylonia. They were in exile. And that's what Jesse preached. He said, living in the meantime, while you're in exile, no matter what your station in life, you should be living in the meantime for the Lord. Well, Jeremiah prophesied that. But then after the Babylonians were defeated by the Medes and the Persians, the Median uh, king, the, the Persian king actually, Cyrus, came to power. And in 539... He permits the Israelite exiles to return to their homeland in Israel in 539. So from 609 to 539 was the 70 years of captivity. You know what is fascinating to me why I believe the Word of God? Because in Isaiah chapter 44 and 45, Isaiah was a prophet who prophesied in 750 B.C., this is hundreds of years before the temple was destroyed in 586. A couple of hundred years before 
Cyrus, the Persian king, would allow the Israelites to return. Isaiah specifically calls out a man named Cyrus, who God will raise up and allow his people to return. We serve an awesome God, do we not? And so it's that kind of uh, faith that we should have. And so Haggai comes on the scene in about 520 BC. The word Haggai literally means festival. And his prophecy uh, time was four months from the month of Elul, which is September time frame for us, to December. He prophesied, and he had four major themes or messages for the people. One was to rebuild God's house. The second was to resubmit to God's leadership. The third was to remember God's promises. And the fourth was to receive God's blessings. And so Haggai, just two chapters long, he continues to tell us what the context here is. And it is that this prophet, along with Zechariah, who would ultimately be the one who would encourage the rebuilding of God's house in Israel because it lay in ruins. The historical context is found in Ezra and Nehemiah in your Bible. And so if you think about the Bible as this, mo- this mosaic, you understand the historical books are at the beginning, and then the writings beginning with Job and ending with Song of Solomon, and then all of the prophets all of the prophets, beginning with Isaiah and all the way to Malachi, what I like to call the Italian prophet, Malachi, Malachi, okay? All of those prophets are fit inside of First and Second Kings or First and Second Chronicles. Make sense? Now, all of you history nerds out here, that's the end. Okay, everybody else, stay with me, because now we get to the call of God. Not just the context, but the call of God. And I'll pick up in verse 2 here. Look at what it says in verse 2. This is what the Lord Almighty says. These people say, the time has not yet come for the Lord's house to be built. Verse 3, then the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Is it a time for you yourselves to be living in paneled houses while this house remains a ruin? You see, the people had misplaced priorities. They had misplaced priorities. God was calling the people to rebuild His house. And when we think about misplaced priorities, we have to have a self-examination. What are your priorities? You're here this morning. You consider it a priority, just like Jimmy prayed earlier. You consider it a priority for you to be in God's house, to worship Him, to learn His Word, to praise Him. Do you know what it means to worship? Most people come to worship to get something, but that's not the biblical definition of worship. Worship is that you are to present your body as a living sacrifice. This is your acceptable act of worship. You see, when you come, think about the the paradox of that statement, to offer your body as a living sacrifice. Well, if you think of sacrifice, you think of death. But you're living. So how does this work for the Christian, for all of us in this room? What it really means is that we have died to self. We no longer live for us. We live for the one 
who, li- who laid down his life for us. And now we live a new life in him. This is our acceptable act of worship. And so these Israelites, when they returned, they were more worried about taking care of their own house instead of the Lord's house, misplaced priorities. And so God called for them to come and rebuild his house. In verse 5, it says this, now this is what the Lord Almighty says, give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much but have harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have your fill. You put on clothes, but are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. The idea is is that when we try to build a life that matters, that we can be fulfilled in, Ultimately, it's like a purse with holes. It goes through. The God-sized vacancy can only be filled by God himself. You see, you and I, we labor for good life. But we understand in the Christian faith that the abundant life is not found in what we can get for ourselves, but what he has already given to us in the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that's when all of a sudden the world becomes very much, very temporary. And then we start putting our eyes above to the eternal, to the spiritual, to the forever. And that's what the Christian life should be. And so God is kind of chastising them here. He's saying, give careful thought to your ways. You're trying to take care of yourself, but you are leaving the Lord's house in ruins. In verse 7, it says this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. That's the second time he said that. Go up into the mountains. Bring down timber and build the house so that I may take pleasure in it and be honored says the Lord. You expected much, but see, it turned out to be little. What you brought home, I blew away. Why, declares the Lord Almighty, because of my house, which remains a ruin, while each of you is busy with his own house. Therefore, because of you, the heavens have withheld their dew, and the earth its crops. I called for a drought on the fields and the mountains on the grain, and the new wine, the oil, and whatever the ground produces on men and cattle and on the labor of your hands. You understand that God brings these consequences because his people did not place him first in their lives. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your mind, all of your soul, and all of your strength. You are to have no other God before me, the Lord would say in his Ten Commandments, the first of his ten, you see. And the people had been turning their attentions to their own needs, and they have neglected the Lord. In Deuteronomy 28, and I encourage you all to go home and read that, because a lot of people come to me, I'm a Bible teacher, a lot of people come to me and they say, why does God, uh, why is he so, uh, he punishes his people so severely? And it's hard to see that truly God laid out in Deuteronomy 28 the blessings for following him. And he followed that up with the cursings of not following him. 
If you are obedient, here are your blessings. If you are disobedient, here are the curses. And if you go read Deuteronomy 28, you'll, you'll hear all the people say, amen and hallelujah, we'll do everything you say. And then, of course, we see the Israelites, they fall time and time and time again. But before we want to point a finger at the Israelites, we need to look at our own lives. And we need to see how is it that we are placing God first in our lives. So there's the call for obedience, but then there's the call to resubmit to God's leadership. Zerubbabel, the builder, and Joshua, the high priest, and the remnant. Look at what it says there in verse 12. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and the whole remnant. This is a motif in Scripture. A remnant means a portion. Those who God carries forward to be able to bring about his greater purposes and plan. And the remnant of the people, they obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and the message of the prophet prophet Haggai because the Lord their God had sent him and the people feared the Lord. Now, what does it mean to fear the Lord? It literally means to revere him, to place him as priority above all other things in our lives. That's why we come to worship. In verse 13, God calls them with a promise. Look at what he says there. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. Now, the beauty of this is that that is a motif that is also all throughout Scripture. I remember when God called Abram in chapter 12 of Genesis. He says, I am with you. He told Isaac, I am with you. He told Jacob, I am with you. He told Joshua as he was leading the people into the promised land, I am with you. He told Israel through the prophet Isaiah, I am with you. And he told Jesus himself, told his apostles, I will be with you even to the end of the age. Jesus is with us today. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He is here. He is here to be worthy of worship and praise here in this house. Oh, Ashley River, let's worship the Lord in spirit and in truth. And Paul himself would declare, if God is for us, who can be against us? That's the beauty of the gospel, is that all of us are not in this life trying to figure it out on our own. We have God as our guide, and all we have to do is surrender to His leadership through the Word of God, and when we submit ourselves to Him, then He will guide us in paths of righteousness. Amen? That's what it's all about. So in verse 14, God says, I'm going to stir up your spirit. Look at what it says. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel. He stirred up his spirit. Is God going to stir up your spirit this morning? He then said he's going to stir up the spirit of Joshua, the high priest. He stirred up the spirit of Joshua. And he stirred up the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. And they came. And they began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty, their God. On the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. You know, I love the Bible. It tells you specific days. Specific days. It's so important. You can learn so much when the Bible... In fact, secular history relies a lot on biblical references to specific times and seasons and dates. 
Isn't that fascinating? The Bible becomes so relevant to all of us. God wants and has been stirring up the Spirit here at Ashley River. Y'all feel it? You feel the Holy Spirit moving? I believe that God has big, big, big plans for this church in this community. But he needs all of us to surrender to his leadership. That's what he wants. And then thirdly, there's the covenant. I, if God didn't keep his covenants, I wouldn't be standing here. But he does. He keeps every single covenant. There are covenants all through the Old Testament. And then in Jeremiah chapter 31, there's the new covenant, which is repeated verbatim in Hebrews chapter 8 by the author of Hebrews. He says, this is the new covenant in my blood, Jesus Christ. You see, and I I want us to notice here in chapter 2, verse 1, it says this, on the 21st day of the seventh month, the word of the Lord came through the prophet Haggai. Now, let's do a little math. How many math teachers we have out there? Not many. Okay, I can can fool all of you. Okay, here we go. In the second year, verse 1 of chapter 1, it says, in the second year of King Darius, on the first day of the sixth month. Chapter 2, on the 21st day of the seventh month. How many days? 50 days. There's something about numbers in the Bible. Numerology of the Bible is very powerful. 50 has tremendous significance in the Bible. It correlates to the coming of the Holy Spirit. Notice what he had said, I'm going to stir up the spirit of Zerubbabel. I'm going to stir up the spirit of Joshua. I'm going to stir up the spirit of the whole remnant of God in Israel. And he he says 50 days later, you know, it's the same time frame as the Passover in Exodus chapter 12 to the time that they came to the foot of Mount Sinai and God gave the law. 50 days. It's what we call Pentecost. Pente meaning 50. The Pentecost. And so between the time of the Passover and the time in which the law was given, they celebrated, they observed the feast of Pentecost 50 days after the Passover. What's more powerful than that is that Jesus was raised on the, on the feast of first fruits. Jesus is, he went through the Passover. He became our Passover lamb. He died on Friday. He was put in the, in the tomb on Friday afternoon, before Saturday, before the Sabbath. He spent the time in the Sabbath in the tomb. And then on Sunday morning, he arose on the third day. Friday, Saturday, Sunday, third day. And when he rose, it was on the festival of first fruits. Jesus is the first fruit of the resurrection. He's the first one. And because he was raised, we who are with him, we who are in him, will be raised in power as well. So we experience the resurrection life because Jesus is our first fruit. But you count forward 50 days, and it was then. Jesus spent 40 days on the earth with his apostles, teaching them about the kingdom of God. And then he ascended into heaven. Ten days later, they were all gathered together. His apostles were all gathered together for the feast of Pentecost and what was unleashed on his apostles in Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit, 50 days after 
the Passover of Christ. You see, the 50 means something. And so here, 50 days later, God calls Haggai to speak to the people again. It says, I'm going to move. And it's not what you do. It's what the Spirit does in you and through you. And so we have to understand that we must remember God's promises because then he kicks it off in chapter 2, verse 2. He says, speak to Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, of Judah, to Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, and to the remnant of the people. Ask them, who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? We learn from uh, Ezra the historical context here, the past. Solomon's temple was something to behold. It was built on foundations that were just massive. As they started to rebuild this particular temple, it says in Ezra that the people started to weep because the foundations were much smaller. But you understand, we can build on smaller foundations, but the promise of God will still stand. We can build on a smaller foundation because it has nothing to do with what man's foundation is. It has everything to do with the God who is in the house. You see, God will come with great power. And so he encourages us. Our past is not something that we need to hang on to. We need to look at our present. And that's what he tells them to do. Look in verse uh, 5 here. He says in verse 5, I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty at the end of verse 4. And then he says this in verse 5. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. And my spirit remains among you. Do not fear. I'm here to tell you, we are not to fear because the Spirit remains right here at Ashley River. And then he goes on to tell them, be strong, be strong, be strong, over and over and over again, three times. And then he says, now get to work. Get to work in verse 4. You see, so God keeps his covenant promises. His spirit is alive and well. And therefore, we have no reason to fear because we can move forward in our future here at Ashley River with boldness. Because we are here to reflect, to receive and to reflect the glory of God. And that is important because in verses 6 and 7, God says this. This is what the Lord Almighty says. In a little while, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations, and the desired of all nations will come, and I will fill this house with glory. That particular verse is quoted over in Hebrews. The Hebrews author includes this verse where he says, I will once more shake the heavens and the earth, and I will fill this house house from all nations. That's what Ashley River needs to be. It needs to be a house full of every single person from every nation, tribe, language, and tongue. We need to represent the community in which God has placed us. 
We are to receive and reflect the glory of God. The people will come. The glory of God will fill His house. And therefore, we are to reverence Him in worship and in song. He says there in verse 8, he goes, the silver is mine and the gold is mine. Let's Let's face it, folks. Nothing that you own is yours. God owns it all. The house you live in, it's His. The car you drive, it's God's. The clothes you wear, those are from Him. The food you eat, when you go out to lunch today, just remember to thank God because He gave you the ability to eat. The money you have, it's all His. Everything is His. It's on loan to you. It's on loan to me. Nothing that I'm wearing right now is Randy's. This is God's. This is all from God. You understand what I'm saying? This is all God. So God's not out of resources, folks. He has limited resources to take care of His house. And then He says this. This is our memory verse in verse 9. The glory of this present house will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. And in this place I will grant peace, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house will be greater than the former house. You remember I talked about smaller foundation, but greater glory. Which way do you want it? A big foundation built by man and less of God's glory? Or a small foundation built by man and the glory of God overfilling the temple out into the community around it? That's what Ashley River needs to be. Oh, Ashley River, we need to rebuild We need to rebuild our faith. We need to rebuild our relationships. We need to rebuild our worship. We need to rebuild our fellowship. We need to rebuild our discipleship. We need to rebuild every aspect of who we are. We need to rebuild our witness. And when we rebuild, oh, the Spirit of God will move in such a way that when we rebuild this house, He will be glorified. He will take honor in it. May all of us join together as we think about rebuilding, putting priority on God's house in order to reach out to this community with the love of Jesus Christ. When we do that, He will receive 100% of the glory and credit. Amen? Haggai encouraged the people, rebuild. We live in a community and in a culture right now where they want to believe that God is dead. I want to be a part of a church where we say God is not dead. He is only beginning. He is going to rebuild. And we are going to see people come to Jesus Christ, give their lives to Him, and they will live eternally in the glory of God. That's our job. That's our our privilege. That's our responsibility. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Oh, Lord, thank you for Haggai. Thank you that you raised him up at a critical time in the nation of Israel's history. But, Lord, you have inspired through these words of Haggai this church to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. Oh, Paul told Timothy, we did not receive a a spirit of timidity, but one of power, of love, and of self-discipline. Oh Lord, I pray that Ashley River will just hang on to your Holy Spirit, that we will let it unleash beyond these walls out into this community we call Charleston, a city we love. Oh Lord, give us hearts 
like Jesus who had compassion for the lost. Lord, if somebody were to die today without Christ, they'd spend eternity without you. Oh, Lord, that has to burden our hearts. I pray, Lord, that as we think about rebuilding your house here at Ashley River, I pray that you will rebuild us from the inside out. Help us to have a new spirit, a spirit of power, of love, and of self-discipline. We pray all of this in the name above every name, the name at which every knee will bow, every tongue confess, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, to the praise and glory of God the Father. Amen and amen.